This is the One Foot Down Podcast. I am Eric Murtaugh, back as your host, doing my DJ thing today. This is the Purdue post-game recap. Uh, doing it a little bit later in the week, changing things up. Notre Dame won this game 30-14. to I'm just going to go over a couple things on this game, talk about really two major subjects, and then get to uh, some injury talk at the end as Notre Dame goes through its bye week, and uh, you know we have a couple weeks off here some time to think about some bigger topics, which I'll get into in a second. But Notre Dame wins 30-14, to 14, kind of a, not necessarily a sloppy game, but a, a bit of a letdown game, a little bit of a disappointment. Notre Dame did finish with 10 more first downs, um, had more than 80 yards rushing than Purdue, which is kind of funny. I should have put that in as one of the, the funny stats in my, my recap on Monday, but, uh, you know, Normally not going to be harping on the running game like I will be later in this podcast after outrushing an opponent by 80 yards, but I think that speaks more to the run defense that Notre Dame displayed in this game and the fact that Purdue kind of gave up on the run trying to get back into the game later in the second half. Uh, Colson, again, a good, really good game from him. Could have really, I thought, turned his performance up and really kind of taken the, the offense on his back and made this more of a, a, a blowout, but... Uh, you know, with the way he's played, I think that's asking a little bit too much. It's funny, you know, we're thinking he was kind of be he was going to be rusty, and you know, if you remember Lars's article from in the preseason saying, you know, maybe we should temper our expectations for what Golson's going to do. He wasn't asked to do a whole lot in 2012, but uh, right now he's asked to do a lot, and in this game, I mean, he's really at least half of the rushing game, at least. I mean, he's the leading rusher. Um, Got it done through the air. He was a little bit hit and miss at times, but he's protecting the ball. And I thought, you know, there was a couple throws against Rice. Well, at least one against Rice that was should have been a pick, and then another dangerous throw against Michigan that was close. But this was a game where I really don't think he had a really bad throw at all. He was a little bit inaccurate on a few throws. Um, didn't get rid of the ball quickly. I thought on some other time on, on some other snaps. I still would like to see him run a little bit more like he did on his touchdown run. I just think he needs to make up his mind and say, you know what, I'm going to get 10 yards here, and if uh, I make one guy miss and I get 15 to 20, then that's what I'm going to do. But, again, I'll get into that here in the running game shortly. Pretty good effort by the defense. They did not look good to start this game. Purdue came out with a short passing game, kind of similar to last year, although I thought they picked on the middle of the field a little bit more last year, picked on those heavy linebackers that Notre Dame had. This year was more in the flats, um, a little bit of screen game, uh, some weird motion, doing stuff like that. Um, you know, Purdue can do weird stuff like that. I don't know why Notre Dame doesn't do stuff like that, but again, I'm not going to get ahead of myself too much. Injury bug kind of uh, took its toll in this game. Uh, Nikki Brody plays one snap as a starter and hurts his shoulder, and he's done. They lost Redfield with his targeting penalty, so things got a little bit dicey in the secondary, but they pulled through. This is one of those games, like, I kind of always think, you know, how would this game be viewed if it was a, a Lou Holtz game? You know, you're looking at this box score or kind of just reminiscing about this game from 1991 or something, and this is a game that'll be forgotten. You know, a little bit of a disappointment, like I said, but it's not anything I don't think to 
to take too much away from. Purdue played, you know, kind of up to Notre Dame's level like they typically do. Still got out gained by 100 yards and really were they were outclassed. I thought in the second half, if Notre Dame could have put a, another touchdown or two on the board, is I think we're looking at this game a little bit differently, but. That didn't happen, especially at the goal line. There was a had to settle for a field goal at the goal line. That's what was frustrating as well. But um, so let me get into the the running game, and uh, Lars is going to have a, a post on the on our website soon, and uh, he's not happy with the running game, and I don't think really anyone is right now, especially with all the talk about how strong the offensive line was going to be this year, even without Zach Martin and Chris Watt. How much? talent potential the offensive line has. Ditto for the running backs, uh, senior leader McDaniel and two dynamic younger backs and Falston and Bryant behind them. Here's my thing with the running game and I don't see it's hard for me because I think there's a lot of people out there you know got people who we would term the harumphers, people who it's very hard for them to look at the Brian Kelly offense with a level head. And they say a lot of things that are, if not ridiculous, you know, not true. And just there's a lot of talk about the Kelly offense in the running game that it's I, I, I wouldn't view it as legitimate talk. It's just kind of a waste of time to, uh, to even, you know, dumb down to that level. Having said that, I do think there's strains of arguments coming from those sectors of the fan base that do hold some truth. And I think Lars is going to kind of pinpoint why that is a little bit with his article. And basically, his main thing is, number one, the offensive line isn't looking that good. That's a whole other set of marbles. Um, you know, we're not really used to that, although you could make a case that the running game with the offensive line wasn't that great last year. Um, but the one thing I want to talk about is just the scheme in general. And I normally don't like to look at scheme and just put all the blame on the coaches. Um, Lars is going to show you a play where it's just too easy to defend Notre Dame. I mean, the defense doesn't really have to do anything special. There's a linebacker free. I'm not going to really spoil that for everyone, but when you have a a linebacker running free to make tackles all day. That's not a good scheme. Um, but, you know, when it comes to looking at a game, I don't like to see one play call and say, oh, that's bad. We shouldn't have done that. And then kind of just blame the coaches and say, oh, don't ever call that play again. I, I, that's one of the things I, I really don't like. I think just blaming play calling or, or scheme is just kind of the lowest lowest common denominator for a lot of fans. It's, it's too easy um, in a lot of cases, it, it it's just it, we don't, we're not really there. We can't really tell what's going on. Um, you know, there's checks that Golson may do at the line that alter things. You know, maybe Golson's not doing a good job of staying with run calls, or maybe he's checking out of pass plays into run calls, or vice versa. So there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of moving parts that you know the casual fan doesn't really know. Having said that. I've always had the sneaking suspicion that Brian Kelly's just not innovative enough as an offensive play caller. Now, you could look at that as one of two ways. Um, the good side of that coin is 
you know, when you have a lot of talent, you can focus on X amount of plays and get really good at those plays. Um, you can have some bread and butter plays. Um, but when you have a scheme that's set up where you're basically putting your guys in a position not to succeed, like I think we did against Purdue, you make it too easy for Purdue to, to stop you, then then that's not a good thing. My whole thing with Kelly has been you're utilizing a spread offense, but you're not really utilizing a spread offense, especially when it comes to the run game. It's almost like, I guess I would call it, I mean, it's it's not really that different than the Charlie Weiss offense, except there's a lot more plays from shotgun and a little bit more mobility from the quarterback. It's And, and I would even argue that, you know, Charlie Weiss was innovative in the sense that, you know, he would dial up a good draw play, or he was really good with screen plays and stuff like that. There was a lot of little wrinkles to the offense that would catch defenses off guard. I think when you look at the Notre Dame offense, now in year five, I mean, you really don't see that at all from Notre Dame's offense. You know, we were kind of expecting things to change this year with an experienced and more mature Golson, and you're looking at this game against Purdue and you just don't see it at all. I don't, I don't understand why... I mean, constraint plays, motion, there's just so little of this in the offense. Two back sets, I mean, God forbid we see Diamond at any point um, other than that 2011 game against Maryland. Um, that's probably my favorite formation. I, don't, I just don't understand why, if you're going to be a spread offense and you have the ability to do all these different things, it makes it really hard for defensive defenses to stop you, to defend you, to guess what's coming. And it doesn't seem like Kelly really likes to do that. I don't know if it's kind of like his philosophy on things. You know, you go back to his days at Cincinnati, and I thought they did that a lot more than they do now. Is a lot of motion with Marty Gilliard and stuff like that. Um, and I'm not even talking about up-tempo. That's a whole other bag and a whole other argument unto itself. But... Uh, you know, go back to his Grand Valley State days, that was m mostly a power run offense, a lot of pulling from the guards and uh, a lot of designed runs by the quarterback. But again, you know, there's not a whole lot of tape on his days back then. Not really sure if he was really ever innovative. Um, you know, Kelly got the tag when he was hired by Notre Dame as a, a kind of a genius play caller. Um you know, despite protestations from uh, a lot of people saying that that wasn't the case, you know, it was actually a very simple offense, you know, that kind of puts the, the ball in the hands of the players to make plays, and, um, you know, especially with the, a lot of the stuff was focused on his passing games, and all the, the stuff going on there was a lot of player-based stuff, whereas, kind of in contrast, Charlie Weiss was all about his play calling, and it was his play call that was going to put the players in a position to succeed by surprising the defense and stuff like that. It, it's, it definitely has to be a balance, I think. And I think with Notre Dame under Brian Kelly, there just hasn't been enough bells and whistles. Um, you know, Like last year, it took nine, ten games before you started to see T.J. Jones kind of motioning and taking jet sweeps and coming into the backfield. It's really a big part of the offense in the last few games there, and T.J. Jones was really quite productive doing it. I would love to see 
Carlisle or you know one of the running backs. Put two running backs on the field. Have one of them in the in the in the slot, motioning all over the place. I don't understand why you don't do that, especially with the fact that it looks like Brian Kelly is really um, kind of afraid to run Golson in certain situations and definitely against certain teams. Um, you know, he's spoken to the fact that Golson isn't really good um, on the option read, and that in itself is kind of a a tough pill to swallow. You would hope that Golson's going to improve on that because, you know, you're in a spread offense. There's not a lead blocker. You know, you're not in a pro-style offense where you're really doing a whole, whole lot of work off of play action, and that's going to help your running game. You need to... I mean, if you really want to play with the big dogs, you need that quarterback to be able to do something off the option read. If Golson isn't doing that, what are you going to do? Why aren't you going to use motion or some of these other constraint plays to uh, open things up a little bit? I don't know. So I think that's kind of a the frustrating thing with Notre Dame's offense. Um, you know, I could go on and on about that, but you know, suffice it to say that I think some of the uh, uh, the lunatic fringes um, criticisms of the run game is it, there's some truth to that. It's hard to to really argue that at all. But you know, I think Kelly's always of the mind that whenever they play in an inferior opponent, he's going to run the ball a lot, especially if Notre Dame's winning. That didn't really happen in this game. They were trailing right towards the end of the half, and um, you know, I've mentioned before. I think. You look at Kelly's history. If whenever he has a mobile quarterback, he tends to run a little bit more than when he doesn't. I mean, it's not a big surprise. Um, he ran 56% of the time in 2012 with Golson. I think it'll depend on how much Notre Dame's winning. Um, you know, if Notre Dame ends up going 10 and 2 this regular season, I think you might see 58, 59% maybe crawling up there with a lot of running in the fourth quarter. Which, you know, teams like Alabama, that's kind of where they boost up their percentage. They'll run. 60% of the time, but the fourth quarter, it's up to 75 when they're winning by four touchdowns. So, um, you know, it's one of those things we were talking about behind the scenes at one foot down, you know, was it possible that, like, Kelly was holding back against Purdue? And, and it, it almost seems laughable that that could, uh, that could happen because you're only going to have so much time with Golson as quarterback. Um, God willing, he's going to be here next year. Um, and you know, you just—I don't think you can just hide things from certain teams when you haven't really established through five years that you have a great running game. Uh, you need to work on that running game if you want to go ahead and beat Florida State. Uh, you know, right now I venture to guess unless something drastically changes, Notre Dame's not going to rush for over 50 or 60 yards against Florida State, at least not from the running backs. Golson might be able to. Uh, get 30 or 40 yards maybe, but uh, you know, you go into a game like that, you want to win big games, you can't constantly be relying on Golson's arm on second and third down. And I think I think that's my big worry right now is, you know, yeah, they're, we're going to run the ball statistically more because Golson's running, and he brings an added dimension to that even if he's not really that great at the option read and pulling the ball down and, you know, making the defensive end look like a fool. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's, and it's something Kelly has to weigh. Do you protect Golson by not running him a little bit more and relying on his arm? But at, 
at the end of the day, is that really Notre Dame's highest ceiling? Can you compete for a playoff spot for a major bowl, uh, for a national championship, if you're not really going full throttle with that running game and trying to get as good as you can get at that running game? You know, And I don't know if really Brian Kelly has that philosophy with the running game. It's, you know, his offense has been termed as pass to, it's a, a pass for spread, or pass to run spread, I guess you could call it. And, um, you know, you could still call it that even if you're running the ball technically 58% of the time. But, you know, from some of the things I've seen, I think you're kind of seeing those colors come out when the chips are down and it's a close game. Teams like Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Oregon, they're going to still run the ball a lot. They're going to rip off chunks of uh, yardage on the ground, and I'm not sure right now if this Notre Dame team can do that against Stanford, Florida State. We'll see if they can. Now, you know, I had an off-season bunch of articles looking at historical rushing attacks and kind of recent national championships and what all of those title teams did running the ball. One of the main things that I took away was it's not necessarily that Notre Dame has to run the ball more, it's that Notre Dame has to run the ball better. So this is another choice that Brian Kelly has to look at, and I'm going to transition to the offensive line right now. They haven't played very well this year. If they're not playing very well, run blocking especially, how much are you going to stick to that run game? Because as much as I'm complaining about not having a great running game, you still have to try to go win football games. And it doesn't really do the team any good to keep running the ball for two yards, two yards, and being third and longs and going and having a lot of three and outs. Because then we're just going to be complaining that the offense as a whole is terrible and we're not winning football games. Brian Kelly's job ultimately is to win football games, so he has to make a decision. And, you know, that's tough. That's a tough decision for a lot of coaches. I think he's that's weighing heavily on him right now. And, uh, you know, this offensive line just hasn't been getting it done. Um, I wouldn't say throughout in the entirety of the first three games. But, you know, they did not look that great against Purdue. I mean, spotty and pass protection not good at all in, in run blocking. So, you know, we'll see what goes on with the offensive line throughout this bye week. Um, heard some things through the through the vine that uh, they're definitely going to move Elmer to right guard. Uh, I know uh, the guys on the Irish Illustrated podcast talked about that. They seem to think that that's pretty much a done deal. They're going to move Elmer from right tackle to right guard and then Lombard's going to swap with Elmer. He'll move from right guard to right tackle. I think that's probably the good move. Lombard played right tackle in 2012 and did a pretty good job. That's the best rushing offense of the Kelly era. So um, the only thing with Lombard is he has a high ankle sprain. And, you know, I'm not sure if that's going to affect him more at tackle than guard. I would tend to think that's going to bother him less at tackle. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess the injury is different. I would I would think that being on the edge might help that a little bit um, or maybe 
straight up power isn't as important. But uh, the other thing that's been brought up is the possibility of Nick Martin relinquishing his spot at center, moving to left guard and have Hegarty move to center. Now, if that happens, that's kind of a big deal. You know, we kind of expected Elmer Lombard and McGlinchey to kind of figure out that right tackle position with Elmer struggling there and a lot of people saying, well, Elmer's probably a better fit at guard anyway. Which is crazy to think about. He's you know, there's Haggerty and Elmer are really the two offensive linemen under Kelly where as they were being recruited and signed and all that, the coaching staff, at least to me, they made a made a point to say how they were like picture perfect tackles, but neither of them have really panned out that way so far. Um, especially Hegarty, he's at center now, so it's kind of funny. But, you know, if you're moving Martin from center, I think that's kind of a, you know, that's a big adjustment. There's some talk about, you know, maybe his his knee isn't completely healthy or um, he's got some sort of a hand injury or something wrong with his finger, so maybe that's why they want to move him away from center where he's not handling the ball so much. But, you know, he was really good last year, and, you know, in some of the discussions on our site, there's some talk about him maybe going into the draft after this year. He could be one of the higher-ranked centers, and now we're talking about him getting blown off the ball, not looking as physical, losing, not really losing his starting center spot, but moving to guard and having Hegarty, who's looked solid um, in his times at center, in there. So, you know, this is pretty interesting. This is a lot more um, shuffling around than I thought we would see. I thought maybe we'd probably either stick with Elm or just flip-flop Elmer and Lombard, but you know, if you're talking about moving Martin, that's a pretty huge deal. Um, just to wrap up the podcast here, uh, you know, there's some injuries during the bye week that Notre Dame's really trying to uh, get some answers on. Amir Carlisle sprained his MCL. I think, I mean, it's early. We still have another week, really, before the Syracuse game, but it's kind of looking like he's doubtful. You know, that's kind of a, a big blow. He's played terrific this year. And um, while C.J. Procise has looked okay at times, um, you know, if he catches the ball, I, I guess, he, you know, he offers a lot. He's really big, really fast. He just has to work on his hands and his focus and his route running. Still not um, a polished receiver. Still very raw. They should get Torrey Hunter back from his groin injury. Retro freshman still hasn't played at Notre Dame, of course, Many of you remember him suffering that pretty nasty broken femur, which he had to work his way back from last year. And then he tweaks his groin in fall camp. But it looks like he should be able to go against Syracuse, and that'll be interesting to see how much he plays. Uh, my gut instinct on that one is probably not going to see him in the first half. I think they'll probably see what they can get out of Procise. Um, and maybe you would see a little bit of rotation there with Hunter. Uh, Kelly has mentioned that Hunter is kind of a someone they would like to see on the outside, but you know, with injury to Carlisle, he'll probably see some time in the slot if Carlisle's out for more than a game or two. Austin Collinsworth missed all the first three games. Um, I think that one's kind of trending towards a game-time decision. You know, with a depth at safety, you think that he's probably going to play if he can go. Um, but whether he starts or not is kind of a, you know, it remains to be seen. I kind of get the feeling he'll be 
hang out on the sidelines for the first quarter. They'll see how the game goes, and if Notre Dame's up 10 points, they might hold off and see how they can do the rest of the way. If it's a closer game, maybe he gets in there. So I, I kind of think that's the way that one's going. Uh, Jarrett Gray still slow, progca- slow progress um, coming back from his pretty nasty um, leg injury. That's a that's a tough one. I I was pretty adamant that he would be making his way back, but you know we're coming up on eleven months now. I I think it is since that injury, and he's still really not close to uh, at least being in game shape. I guess you could say he's getting healthier, but you know there's some talk about he's having problems with his ankle now. The the break. Upper, you know, up on his, on his shin, where all those bones broke, has 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 been doing better. But now he's having some problems with his ankle. You know, there's muscles involved, not just the bone, tendons, and all that. That's a really tough one for him. I, it, I'll be really interested to see if he doesn't play this year, and it's kind of looking like that's going to be the case. What happens with him next year? I think there's going to be more than enough scholarships for him to come back. And he is a good leader, and you might want him back just for that anyway. And it's probably not going to be a case where he's going to go run off to, you know, Miami of Ohio or another Mac school to get immediate playing time with his injury. I don't see that happening with him, but you never know. Um, but, you know, he's a big kid. He lost a little bit of weight um, for this new defense, but he's not really a good fit for Van Corder for Van Gorder's scheme for what they're trying to do. And on top of that, you have Jalen coming back. Uh, Schmidt is pretty much guaranteed a lock for a fifth year. He's a scholarship player now. I mean, those are your two, quote-unquote, starters at inside linebacker. I mean, Grace could off- obviously offer some help there for some depth, but, you know, you just I'm not saying this is going to happen, but you have to wonder if he's going to be hanging it up um, if his leg doesn't heal and maybe he's not comfortable come spring ball next year and so we'll see how that plays out. Someone who else someone else who is done for this season is Nicky Barati. Um uh, mentioned it earlier, injured his shoulder again. His third shoulder injury, this one sits him down for another year. Uh, you know, he missed a whole year before with a shoulder injury, tweaked it again. Spring ball and now this happens again. Still, you know, he's got a pretty decent amount of eligibility left. But, uh, well, actually he doesn't. Oh, no, he does. Excuse me, I didn't notice that he had that red shirt, I guess, with that injury. Missing a full year, you'll get a red shirt out of that. But, you know, you have to wonder if he's going to ever come back fully healthy again. You look at someone like Chase Hounshell. Had a couple shoulder surgery of his, of his own. You know, he's come back, still on the team, but really not a factor at all. Basically, in the three deep, he's not there. He's essentially a fourth string, almost the last player available, it seems, on the defensive line. Um, Barati, a different athlete, a better recruit, you know, quote-unquote, a better player. Uh, someone who's kind of forced his way into the two deep as a young player, but, you know, there's going to be some young talent coming up. Redfield's going to be around for a long time. Tranquil, we're going to have a lot of freshmen coming in who can play safety. That's going to be a tough uh, 
that's gonna be a tough road ahead for Brody to to have to rehab another shoulder injury, come back, and uh, and, and you know try to get playing time. So we'll see if you know a medical scholarship's on the horizon there. You know, is you never want to say stuff like that, but you have to be kind of realistic with, especially with shoulder injuries. Those are really tough for football players. So that's gonna wrap up the thirtieth. 38th episode of the One Foot Down podcast. Uh, Notre Dame will be in a bye week. I'm not sure if we'll have a podcast this upcoming week. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. We'll see how that all plays out. Um, I'm going to get a good look at Syracuse this week as they play Maryland. I always thought they were kind of a sneaky good ACC team this year. Uh, I think their quarterback's going to surprise a lot of people. So if you want to check them out, they're hosting Maryland uh, in the Carrier Dome this weekend. So we'll see if they if they win that game. You know, they're undefeated team. Might be one of the stronger teams in the ACC. Obviously, Notre Dame's a lot more talented across the board. But, you know, I said this in the summer. This is going to be kind of a sneaky, tough game. So we'll, hopefully Notre Dame takes care of business. Um, I'll have a preview of that game next Thursday. Um, and hopefully everyone will look forward to that and look forward to Notre Dame taking the field again in just over a week. So I'm Eric Murtaugh. We'll see you later. And we'll see you back for the 39th podcast um, another week or two.